Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the first in a series of four University of Nebraska beef webinars that have been held in the month of February, focused on stalker and yearling cattle production systems. The first webinar focused on some of the research that's been done at the University of Nebraska, looking at different production systems and also different levels of supplementation and how that affected the cattle throughout their production all the way to harvest. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by the presenter, Dr. Jim McDonald, who's with the University of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. McDonald. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. As a longtime listener of this podcast, I'm a little bit starstruck and certainly uh, honored to join you today. Well, Jim, I'm a little embarrassed that we haven't had you on the podcast before. So before we dive into talking about today's topic, Share with us a little more about yourself, your role and responsibilities there with the University of Nebraska. Sure. Um, well, I'm a ranch kid from North Dakota. Came to the University of Nebraska in the last century, uh, 1999, did the feedlot management internship program and then both a master's and PhD. Uh, had the opportunity to come back on faculty in 2012 and in a teaching and research appointment. I would say I have the best job in the world uh, because my job description is beef cattle persons. So I can do anything that I want to as long as it's related to beef cattle and I call it a system. So a lot of flexibility in my research program and, and get to work with some really cool people here. Dr. McDonald, you've been involved with uh, some research that's been done at the University of Nebraska looking at stocker yearling production systems, looking at supplementation levels both on native range uh, in corn stock residue, also looking at supplementation on summer pasture and then also tracking how those cattle perform, following them all the way to harvest. In the presentation that you made on February 2nd, you really shared some of the data that's been done by the University of Nebraska and also some principles that producers may wanna think through as they think about stocker yearling production systems. Share with us some of the principles that you shared in the webinar series that you think would be valuable to clientele as they think about their own production system. And then also help us think through some of the research that's been done and why it was done at the University of Nebraska. Sure. So one of the main principles that, that I try to remember as a researcher is that every producer has their own system, right? There are no two systems, even if, you know, springborn calves, wean them in the fall, retain ownership, whatever that is, even if it sounds the same, the logistics and the resources and, and all of the um, intricacies make each producer's system unique. So, you know, a question that, that I think is important for people to understand about their own system is, it, what is my value, right? What, what's unique about what we do? What do we do really well? And how do we take advantage of that? There is no simple answer in terms of this is what you should supplement. This is when you should supplement it. It really goes back to what are your logistical limitations? What, what are your resources? What's your cost of production? And then something that we probably don't talk enough about, what are your goals? You know, why, why are we considering supplementation programs at all? Why are we marketing calves when we're marketing them? And, and how do those things feed into what, what your goals are in your production system? Then we can start to tie into some unique things or maybe formulate different supplements that, that fit for a unique production system. Dr. McDonald, you've been involved in a number of research studies there looking at different supplementation systems, uh, thinking through some of the logistics of if we supplement these cattle at different levels, what's the expected gain that we would get? 
And then also, what's the impact of that in terms of how those cattle perform in a future grazing phase and also in the feed yard? Share with us some of the different things that you've looked at, uh, specifically thinking about as we target gain on cattle in the winter, and we also think about then grazing those cattle in the summer. What do we need to be aware of in terms of level of game, compensatory gain on grass, and then also thinking about cattle performance, uh, when we sell those cattle, when we market them, how do all those things tie together and what are some principles producers may want to evaluate and think through as they consider those different things? So the first principle is that a growing calf requires metabolizable protein. Without getting too deep into the metabolizable protein system, just like um, I have a 12-year-old son and he requires, he's, he's starting to eat a lot of protein and requires a lot of amino acids to grow. Young calf requires the same thing. Many of those amino acids come from the bacteria uh, flowing out of the rumen, but the fact of the matter is, unlike a mature animal, those young calves simply cannot eat enough to produce enough bacterial protein into their small intestine. So if we're going to increase growth, we've got to do so, we've got to be able to bring protein into their small intestine, right? So that means that urea um, is often not going to be terribly helpful. You know, there's, there's a lot of different products out there. The reality is, at least in Nebraska, um, even when distiller's grains are high, the cost per unit of energy and the cost per unit of metabolizable protein in distiller's grains is still the most cost-effective way to get additional protein into those calves. So then it becomes a matter of, is that logistically feasible, right? So can we supplement a wet or a modified product or are we going to be using dry and if it's dry, you know, are we going to supplement it on the ground or um, are we going to use a cube or, or what's the mechanism to minimize the amount of wastage that we have, right? So there's some, some logistical considerations there. And then what's the forage source that you're supplementing? The efficiency of, of supplement use is going to be very different for a low quality or low protein forage like dormant range or like corn residue than it will be for... Um, an actively growing forage because there's already quite a bit of protein in the actively growing forages. And so does that economically make sense um, to provide supplement uh, in those different circumstances? We've done a lot of work with corn residue. As I, as I go through the mathematic calculations and I look at cost per unit of energy, and I use TDN as an index, if I, if I look across the state of Nebraska at all of the forage resources, the cheapest, the cheapest forage resource per unit of energy consumed is corn residue, specifically grazing corn residue. Okay, so if I have calves out grazing corn residue and I don't supplement them with anything, they're not going to gain any weight. In fact, they're probably going to lose a little bit of weight. So what's the cheapest way to bring in additional protein and energy? And that's typically distiller's grains. We've done some work and we get questions frequently um, about, you know, can I feed my own corn or, or you know, can I supplement some urea with some corn? And, and we've done that work and, and you'll improve gain some, but not very much. We're talking about like a third to a half a pound of average daily gain. Versus if we feed in that three to five range or three to five pounds per head per day range of distiller's grains, we can achieve uh, 1.3 to 1.5 pounds of, of average daily gain on calves supplementing corn residue. We think that that's, that's kind of optimum um, as we follow those calves then through the summer grazing period or if we follow them through the feedlot. You know, the one thing to remember about compensatory gain is that it's a comparison, 
right? You're comparing how much additional gain you got relative to an animal on a higher plane of energy, higher plane of nutrition. Okay. And, and you're never going to reverse the principles or overcome the principles of compensatory gain. So if I have a calf that gains a half a pound throughout the winter, and I have a calf that gains a pound and a half throughout the winter, there is no doubt that the calf gaining a half a pound is going to gain more on grass. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. Our data would suggest that that calf will make up 30 to 40% of the initial weight difference. In other words, when they go to grass, if the, if the calf receiving supplement is 100 pounds heavier, the calf not receiving supplement will make up 30 to 40 pounds of that 100 pound weight difference. That's pretty tough to overcome. It's pretty tough to overcome those additional 60 pounds in terms of profitability when you go to market that calf to the feedlot. If that number is 80%, if an unsupplemented calf is making up 80% of that uh, weight difference, then it's pretty tough to justify um, the cost of the supplement. Okay, so that's a, that's a really important principle to understand. Um, and that's kind of where we come in at uh, 1.3 to 1.5 pounds um, over the winter. Um, that just seems to be optimal in terms of maximizing gain and um, creating a, enough of a weight difference where you can't overcome it uh, through compensatory gain. One of the things I think is important to remember as we think about this is I don't know of many scenarios in Nebraska where we're wintering calves and they're not receiving some level of supplementation, meaning almost every scenario I'm aware of, they're receiving some supplementation. So when we think about the additional cost of just adding, whether it's a couple more pounds of distiller's grains, maybe three, or if we're thinking about the additional cost of adding a little additional energy to pick up a little more gain, the cost of delivering the supplement, in many cases, unless we're looking at something like a lick tub, that would be different or a self-fed supplement. For many people who are already delivering supplement, feeding a little bit more does not cost them very much in terms of delivery cost, but the value they get from the additional gain is significant, which kind of fits into your system, but I think it's important to remember. Yeah, that value of gain calculation relative to the cost of gain, I mean, that's, that's the central economic decision maker that you have to know. So if my value of gain, in other words, you know, going from a five weight calf to a seven or eight weight yearling, if, if that value is a dollar per pound um, and my cost of gain is, you know, 70, 80 cents, well, that's a pretty good value proposition. If I start increasing my supplement costs so that that cost of gain goes up over the value, then that's not such a very good value proposition. And so one thing that I worry about sometimes is, is we make a leap um, because some of these supplementation strategies are inconvenient, right? Like, as you said, supplement has to be delivered daily or, you know, at least multiple times a week uh, versus something that's, that's more convenient. You really got to pay attention to what that cost to gain. Am I going to achieve the same gain? And is the cost going to be equal or lesser than what it would have been What's my cost of labor? What's my cost of delivering the supplement? All of those things matter as, as you start separating apart what the most economical supplementation strategy is. Dr. McDonald, you've not only done research looking at supplementation during the winter, whether it's on native range or corn stalks, you've also looked at the possibility of supplementation during the summer. And we recognize that for most folks, that's not something where they're going to engage in or use 
but I think it's interesting to track and see maybe what's the opportunity to utilize that potentially, especially I would say in places like Eastern Nebraska, where they have access to ethanol co-products more readily than we do in Western Nebraska, and also where the value of an animal unit month or the value per day of grazing uh, can be pretty high. Give some perspective on some of the research that's been done there, what you found, and, and some perspective on maybe application as people think about stocker yearling systems. Well, we're coming out of a time when people throughout Nebraska certainly understand the, the increasing cost of grazed forages. Okay, so if I, again, back into my cost per unit of energy, if I back into, you know, paying $60 um, a month for a cow-calf pair, and I know how many AUMs, if I assume that's 1.3 AUMs, for example, I can back calculate into how many pounds of forage that is, and if I know the energy value, the, the cost of Sandhills Range and some in grass in eastern Nebraska is probably similar to the cost, maybe not right now, but um, you know, four dollar corn. And and so, when you start considering the opportunity cost for what additional range or pasture availability means, then sometimes supplementation might make sense. Central to that idea is the concept of forage displacement. Okay, we know that in high quality forages that every pound of supplement that you provide displaces some forage. Okay, so that means that two things happen. Their total intake, if you take the forage they consume plus the supplement they consume, their total intake is going up. But if you only consider the forage component, the forage is going down. Well, what does that mean from a management standpoint? Well, the best data that we have is with distillers grain supplementation and, and we know that we can increase in this scenario would be like with a seven weight yearling going out onto grass and in the sand hills, right? That's the scenario that it was tested in. We know that you can increase stocking rate about 20%, 18 to 20%. Okay, what value does that bring in addition to the, the additional weight gain? Um, and is it worth, you know, quite frankly, the added labor in the summertime um, to provide that supplement? That's not widely adopted. Um, and I, I don't know that it's going to be widely adopted in the near future, but as land prices continue to go up um, and the cost of our grazed forages, as people really start to evaluate what is, what is grazing costing me, um, I think we may see some opportunity for summer supplementation down the road. Dr. McDonald, as you think about what producers should think about and evaluate as they look at their whole system and look for, I would say, their point of leverage, their competitive advantage, as you think about production systems you've evaluated, what are some key things that you would say are take-homes that folks really need to pay attention to and look at? Yeah, so the first is who's your customer, right? What, what are you producing? Um, and of course, we're all producing beef, right? You want to keep that in mind. But am I producing a seven or eight weight calf that's going to go into the feedlot? Am, am I going to retain ownership um, and keep it through the feedlot? That will impact uh, my supplementation management just based on the value of that gain and, and who's going to take advantage of the value of that gain. So what, what does your system look like and why, why are you running it the way that you are, right? So I'm not an expert in risk management, for example, but you know, retaining some, at least a portion of your calves through the summer 
and then uh, as, as a drought mitigation strategy or retaining a portion of them through the feedlot as a way to spread out risk. Those are all in really important considerations as you think through how you're going to develop uh, a supplementation program. The other thing I would say is where are you bringing value to your system? So what's different? What's unique? What can I do that nobody else can do? And how do I do things better than other people do them, right? So how does that look in a, in a real system? Well, I know people um, who are really, really good at managing high-risk calves. They can identify a sick calf and get them treated, and that works really well in their system. Well, there's value to be captured there, right? If you're really good at, at purchasing a low-cost but high-risk calf and, and really taking care of that calf, and turning it into something that has higher value, that's, that's a unique system and something that you could certainly take advantage of, right? And supplementation and energy is an important part of managing that high-risk gap. Um, I know other folks who are really good range managers and really good at, at reading um, grass quality, but they don't want to have to treat a calf in the summertime, right? So that's a different value proposition than somebody who has an interest in or, or an ability um, to really manage a high-risk calf. So that's just a couple of examples, but, but what are you good at and, and how do you take advantage of it, right? I think that's the central theme of, of how you put together a production system that's unique and, and um, that allows you to bring something different to the, to the industry. Anything else on this topic, Dr. McDonald, that you'd like to highlight as we point towards wrapping this up? I think everybody's unique. I think there's some central themes. If you're going to be working with growing calves, you've really got to understand protein. You've got to understand um, the difference between protein that's degraded in the rumen and protein that's degraded in the small intestine. And some of the processes out there that make protein bypass the rumen also make it bypass the small intestine, right? So the more information that you have on a product um, be that distiller's grains or a commercial product, um, I think the better off that you are. Additionally, you've really got to keep track of costs. The trade-off for uh, convenience versus cost of gain is probably a deal breaker for some people. Okay, so paying a lot more for a supplement because the delivery mechanism um, is more convenient, really keep track of what that's doing to your cost of gain. There's a lot of opportunity in this industry, Aaron. You know, I, I get the pleasure of, of teaching um, our seniors before they go out. And for those who are looking for an opportunity to enter the beef industry, I always tell them that that five weight to eight weight calf is a unique opportunity because there's inexpensive forage resources out there. There's established supplementation programs, but it's a lot of work, right? So for somebody who's driven, who's willing to work hard, who's willing to be out there on days like today when it's you know, well below zero here in eastern Nebraska, there's opportunity in this industry. And, and I think Nebraska is a great place to get started for some of those folks as well. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Dr. McDonald. My pleasure. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. At the website, we do have the webinars from the February series archived when they're recorded. And this one is from the February 2nd. The title of the webinar was Highlights from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Stalker System Research.